This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. We've been in 1 Corinthians for a number of weeks here on Sunday evenings, and uh, we're just looking this evening at three verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. We'll begin reading in verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. I want you to notice this phrase we find in verse number 11, and such were some of you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have the Word of God to direct us and that through the Word you speak to us, and we pray the Holy Spirit would be our teacher this evening that you would minister to us through your word, give us understanding, and help us to be obedient to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 6, Paul addressed the problem of disputes within the church, and of course, we understand that really uh, he has been addressing, uh, as we've studied uh, this letter, he has been addressing disputes from the onset of this letter. And although disputes were a problem for the Corinthian church, the bigger problem was the way they were settling their disputes, as he mentions in chapter number 6, by going into a public forum, particularly into a court of law. And so in addressing this problem, Paul asked them in verses 1 through 8 a series of questions. Let's look at these verses again just to refresh our memory. In verse number 1, he says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? There's a question mark at the end of that statement. Paul here speaking as one who is in disbelief that God's people would take one another to court to settle a dispute. He couldn't believe that they thought that was the proper way to do things. Verse number two, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? In other words, here you are going to the outside world, going beyond the 
a context of the local New Testament church to find those who do not know the Lord and to seek their ruling when you will be the judges of the world. If you're going to judge the world, are you not then qualified to judge the smallest matter? Verse number three, know you not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are at least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore, now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. <clears throat> He's taking great pains to say to them, you will judge the world, you will judge angels. Are you not qualified then to judge these small matters that have caused disputes and divisions among you. Is there no wise person in the church that you can bring these matters to? Will you not submit yourselves to the Lord, to his word, and to one another in order that you might get an answer to these questions and preserve unity and preserve the testimony of the church? And if you can't do those things, here's the question in verse 7. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? In other words, why would you not just suffer loss rather than mar the name of Christ and the testimony of his church by taking your problems, your petty divisions, and addressing them before a lost and dying world. Verse 8, nay, ye do wrong. The people who are looking for justice are doing an injustice. And you defraud, he says. Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. So, of course, the major point Paul is making here is that they should settle disputes within the church and trusting the least among them to judge because as Paul argued, they being believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit were wiser than those who were in the world and did not have the Spirit of God. So Paul notes here in our text that we as believers were once in the same condition as those same unbelievers that the Corinthians went to seeking judgment. But now in Christ, we have taken a new position. And so as we look at this text tonight, really I just have two major thoughts to give you. Number one is our previous condition. Our previous condition. He begins in verse number nine with these words, Know ye not, again another question, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that you are looking to for leadership and decision-making are classified, he said, as the unrighteous. That is their identification. Again, this is speaking of their position, not necessarily their morality, although there was a great void of morality in Corinth, as we have noted earlier. But they were unrighteous because of their unbelief, and therefore they were outside of the family of God. They were not 
uh, heirs of the kingdom of God. And so he says, be not deceived. And he gives us a list, a group of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, these people do not know the Lord. They're not a part of the family of God, and they will not be a part of God's everlasting kingdom. And it's important for them to note that they are not to be deceived. You know, deception is rampant today in our culture, is it not? People are deceived, mildly deceived. And those who have refused to acknowledge God's truth, as we noted a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 1, have embraced lies. The messengers of today's cultural revolution are not concerned with the truthfulness of their message as long as it serves them in achieving their desired goals. Their goal is to forge lies and present them as truth in hopes that the culture will accept it as such. Their strategy involves repeating the lie time and time again so as to cause the hearers to think it is true. Uh, we hear lies fed to us on a nonstop basis to the point that many in our culture have accepted those lies as truth. This is the work of Satan. They repeat these lies loudly and often. They impugn the character and motives of those who dare to counter their lies with truth until they have effectively drowned their voices out of the arena of public discourse. And that is exactly where we stand today. If you stand for truth, if you raise your voice to expose the lie, then you will be reviled, you will be mischaracterized and attacked in the public arena. And because of intimidation, uh, few will rally to support you and lies will be propagated as truth. Deception is the rule of the day. And Paul said it will be the rule of the day at the coming of the Lord. And it was the rule of the day in Corinth, this wicked society. And Paul is saying to those believers, do not be deceived. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we notice the particulars of those who are condemned. Let's look at it together. Beginning here in verse number, in the middle of verse number nine, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, and such were some of you. Now, as you have read this list with me, the question may come to you, have you committed one of these sins? The truth is we have all committed these sins to one extent or the other. We have all sinned against God, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us were born in the state, the condition of sin. And our sin separated us from God. And the Apostle Paul here is saying, 
Those who are in sin are not in Christ, therefore they are not heirs of the kingdom of God. Now notice this list. Let's look at it. First of all, he begins with fornicators. Fornicators are those who enter into sexual relationships outside of marriage. It is a word that characterizes all types of sexual sins. But in specific detail, it deals with those who are involved in sexual relationships outside of marriage. We understand that God ordained marriage and that the physical intimacy between a man and a woman is to be conducted in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. Anything outside of that, no matter what the world says today, no matter the messages of the media or the pop culture, anything outside of that is sin against God. And we need to acknowledge it as such. This is God's truth. Now, as I said earlier, this sin was a pervasive sin, as was adultery, and all, matter, all manners of sexual sin were pervasive in a town like Corinth. They were accepted. You would have been viewed as prudish, out of touch with the culture, as narrow-minded had you taken a biblical position on sexuality. By the way, that's the way you are viewed today if you take a biblical position on sexuality. So fornicators will not enter into the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom. Nor idolaters. This speaks of those who worship other gods. The culture of the day was rampant with idolatry. We have the example given in Acts when Paul went to Athens and he proclaimed the message of the unknown God. There were many gods that were worshipped, many idols that were worshipped. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. In Luke chapter 4 and verse number 8, when the Lord answered Satan in his temptation, he said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So idolaters will not enter into the kingdom of heaven, nor adulterers, those who are married, but break their marriage covenant by entering into a sexual relationship with another. And again, this was a pervasive practice in Corinth. Nor effeminate. These are those who uh, take on a, an effeminate identity. Men who change their orientation, their identity. I'm using terms that the world uses today. The transgender movement is sweeping across the country, is it not? God says in his word that it is sin, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, 
This is homosexuality. It is a sin against God. Let me just say to you, so is fornication and so is adultery. But we live in an age where we're taught to believe that homosexuality is a choice that people make or it is a choice that they have no control of. The world can't determine which message they want to send us. At different times, when it fits the narrative, they send us different messages. And now we're to accept that men can become women whenever they choose to become women and that they should be able to use a public restroom with our wives and daughters. And if you raise your voice against it, then you are reviled and you are accused of being a bigot and hateful when all you're trying to do is protect your wife and children. Athletics for women has seen this controversy. Women's athletics has experienced the controversy where men who want to identify themselves as women decide that they're going to compete against women, though they have a physical advantage, the competitive advantage, and though it is a scientific fact that they have that advantage, that is totally disregarded by this world because people are deceived. This is the world in which we live. This is the world in which our children are growing up. And no matter what the world says, let's be clear about what God says. It is a sin against him. And those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we take no joy in that. And we need to understand that there is a world of people who are confused and who are in darkness, who are deceived, and what they need is the clear message of the gospel to be proclaimed unto them. That is why we are here, to speak the truth. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And those churches that have capitulated to the message of the culture have lost their identity. And they are no longer proclaiming the message of God's truth. And though the hostility grows and per persecution may come, we as God's people have a responsibility to the Lord to be faithful to his truth. But let me just say that's not only in the public arena, but that's in the private areas of our lives. And may God help us. Nor thieves, that's those who take what belongs to other people. Thieves, nor covetous, that's those who desire to have what others possess. Nor drunkards, those who are addicted to alcohol and drink it to excess nor revilers, 
those who mock and scorn with their tongue in order to destroy the lives and reputations of those they hate. We live in a time when reviling has become a prevalent method of the day. To try to destroy someone's life, to try to destroy their reputation, to try to intimidate them, to submit to a secular way of thinking through their reviling. And then extortioners, those who use leverage to blackmail and take from others. The advent of social media in the last few years have seen a great increase in reviling and extortion and all of these modes uh, of, of destroying someone's life and reputation of threatening them and intimidating them to say that what they know is a lie in their heart, they know it is a lie, but yet they embrace it as truth. And so Paul says, be not deceived. Be not deceived. Now, as you read this list and you understand the words of the Lord, there are many items on this list that most of the people in this room tonight would have to say, I have been guilty of that, and perhaps I am dealing with that in my life tonight. So what does this mean for me? You see, this was, as Paul said, their previous condition. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know him, this was your previous condition. But now you have a new position. And that's the second thought, our present position. Our present position. Notice in verse number 11, here's some good news for you and I. And such were some of you. You might still do some of these things, but you are not these things if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the text. And such were some of you, but ye are, would you say that word with me? Ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. Very good but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you, adulterers, fornicators, idolaters, effeminate, abusers, covetous, extortioners, all, all that list that we just read, such were some of you, but you are no longer in those categories. The, that is no longer your identity. That is no longer your position because now ye are, present tense, washed. Ye are, present tense, sanctified. Ye are, present tense, justified. We have a new position. We are no longer sinners, but now in Christ we are saints. Does it mean that we are perfect? and have achieved some level of holiness. It just means that we are identified in him. God has dealt with their state. 
their previous state. He has washed them. He has dealt with their previous standing. They are now sanctified and justified. They have been set apart for God and set aright by God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So the moment that you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your identity changed. You no longer were in that list, but you became a part of the washed, the justified, and the sanctified family of God. This is who you are. Do you know the Lord Jesus is your Savior? Do you remember the moment that you asked Christ to forgive you of your sin? Do you know that the Holy Spirit of God came to dwell in you and he changed you? He gave you eternal life. Do you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your present possession? If you know that is true, then I want you to know such were some of you. You say, well, Pastor, I, I still have these problems. I mean, there are times when I, 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 I get uh, carried away with things and there are things that I struggle with and, and uh, there are problems in my life, yes. But that is not your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. So there are three things that he points out here concerning our present position. Number one, he says, ye are washed. Ye are washed. The word means to wash from, to bathe, to wash away. Literally, it means to be clean from, to be freed from sin. The leprosy in the Bible is a, is a picture of sin. And we understand that a leper, when he would come in contact with people, if he were to follow the rules that were given to the leper, he must say to those who were approaching him, he must cry out to them, unclean, unclean. The leprosy in him made him unclean. We have a picture of that in 2 Kings chapter number 5 when Naaman, who was the captain of the guard of Syria, he went to the prophet of Israel, to Elisha, the man of God, because the maid had told him that there was a prophet there who could cure him, who could heal him of his leprosy. And he came to the house of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse number 10, and Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to meet me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, 
Wouldst thou not have done it? Well, that's exactly what he thought was going to happen. How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. Then when he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. You see, it is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, which cleanses us from all unrighteousness, is it not? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all of our sin. So through the blood of Christ, you and I have been freed from our sin. We have been cleansed from our sin. The grime, the dirt, the stain of sin has been removed. Jesus said in John 15 and verse number 3, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The message of the gospel, the power of God's word spoken to us, mixed with faith in our hearts, the blood is applied, our sins are forgiven. Hebrews 10 and verse 22, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Titus wrote in Titus chapter 3, and, or Paul wrote rather to Titus in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You say, I, I look at that list and I say, I'm glad I'm not a part of that group. Well, you were a part of that group. No matter what part of that group you were once a part of, you're still a part of the whole group. Or you were. But now, because of Christ, you have been washed. The stain of that sin is gone. Oh, yes, you may still struggle with it. You may still deal with it. In fact, you may be here tonight uh, and convicted by it in your own life. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he has washed you from the stench and the filth of that sin. Praise be unto God. Then he says, you're sanctified. This means to make holy, to make clean, to render pure. This deals with us in the inner man. Romans 15 and verse number 16, Paul said that I should be minister of, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. You couldn't get over the fact that God had made him the minister to the Gentiles. He couldn't get over the fact that a man who had persecuted the, uh, the church of Christ and uh, who had blasphemed the name of Christ was now proclaiming the gospel of Christ. He said that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. You see, the moment that you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ applied to your account cleansed you of all your sin, and the Holy Spirit of God came to dwell within you. 
Therefore, Paul said, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. You're not to make decisions for yourself. You are God's. You belong to him. You are now the dwelling place of God, Christ living in you. That's what it means to be sanctified. Rotten, filthy, dirty, defiled sinners have now been made clean, and we now belong to God. And the Spirit of God has taken up his habitation in us. Therefore, we are sanctified. John Phillips said it this way, to be sanctified means to be set apart by God for himself so that his righteousness might be produced in us by his Holy Spirit. Now, you see, though we are saved, we still have a sin nature to deal with. You don't have to go very long into the week. You won't have to go very deep into this week. In fact, you may just need to get out of the parking lot to reacquaint yourself with your sin nature. But you and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of God can be conformed to the image of Christ, and the Holy Spirit can produce in us Christ-likeness. Therefore, Phillips wrote, holiness becomes the prevailing characteristic of the life, the direction of its flow. A sinner, he says, accommodates himself to his sin. He gets used to it. He makes provision for it. But a saint despises it. You may be dealing with the sins of the flesh and of the past, but you can enjoy them. In fact, you detest them, and you despise them in your heart. John MacArthur said it this way. He said, sanctified, that word speaks of new behavior. To be sanctified is to be made holy inwardly and to be able in the Spirit's power to live a righteous life outwardly. I think Spurgeon has said it this way, the struggle that you have with sin should not disturb you. It's the absence of the struggle that you have with sin that should disturb you. In other words, if you can sin and do what you want to and there's no problem, there's no inner turmoil going on in your life, then you have a reason to be disturbed. But if you're battling sin and there is turmoil in your soul about that, here's one thing you know. You know that you belong to God and there is a battle taking place that is expressly written about in Romans 7 and also in Galatians 5 where the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The key is how is the battle won? Well, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in us allows us to prevail over the flesh. Paul said it this way in Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I can learn to walk in the Spirit moment by moment, learning to depend upon him, walking in obedience to his word, yielded completely to his commandments and his will, if I can walk in the Spirit moment by moment, then I will not, as a matter of action or a matter of habit, fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because I am being controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by my selfish, sinful impulses. 
So he said, you're sanctified. We have a new nature and can live out a new kind of life thanks to the sanctifying work of God. You do not have to live in defeat, Christian. You do not have to live in bondage to sin. You do not have to live with that, those attitudes that creep in, that covetousness, uh, that reviling that comes out of your mouth when somebody says something to you that you don't like, that temptation to sexual sin. You don't have to live in the bondage to that. God has, through the work of his spirit, empowered you to live above it. Here's the last one. He said, you're justified. It means to be made just, to be declared righteous, to justify. One of Satan's great weapons is guilt. He is the accuser of the brethren. In fact, Paul said, who, he said in Romans chapter 8, who can lay the charge uh, to God's elect? Uh, who, who can lay anything to their charge? Uh, and, and he says, uh, let, me, let me just turn there in Romans chapter number 8 and, and read it. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What does sin and death do? It, it, it brings me into a state of guilt, guiltiness before the Lord. The law is my schoolmaster. I have violated the law and my sin and therefore I have been declared guilty. And Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he seeks to uh, charge us and bring up our sinfulness and bring up uh, even our temptations and our struggles and, and use them against us. But I want you to know that in Christ, we have been made just meaning that the Lord sees us in his son as his son and with the record of his son. Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, whose righteousness was imputed to my account. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, that righteousness was imputed to me. And when God views me, I'm encouraging myself right now. I hope you're getting encouraged. When God views me, he doesn't view me the way I view me. Sometimes I'm, I'm just ashamed to even show up and pray. Here I am again, Lord. I blew it again, Lord. Aren't you sick of me? No. I'm certainly sick of myself. Well, I'm not sick of you because you're my child. You're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. There's nothing on your book. I'm looking through the charges, and it says no sin. Well, how can that be? Because you received my son. 
John Phillips said to be justified means to be declared righteous by God. To be acquitted of all charges. It's just as if, he says, we'd never sin. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 3, Apostle Paul writes, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham, why are you going to heaven? <laughs> well, <laughs> you're no better than me. Well, you're right, I'm not. <laughs> By the way, we're no better than the lost in this world or any person on the list. We're no better than them. What makes the difference? We believe God. And he has made us just. Verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom also it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So we are made just through faith in him by believing his word. You see, we see our past condition or our previous condition. But then we rejoice because of his grace over our present position. We're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified. So now understanding that this is my status, this is my position in Christ, understanding that, what am I to do? Well, I am to live like it, not to live to obtain it, but to live because I have it. One writer said a transformed life should produce transformed living. We shouldn't try to live for the Lord just out of, sense, out of a sense of guilt, but out of a sense of gratitude. Out of an acknowledgement of what he has done for us, we should therefore desire to serve him. And that's why we cannot tolerate sinfulness in our lives, and we must deal with it. Paul is saying very strongly that it was unacceptable that some believers in Corinth particularly were behaving like those outside the kingdom. They were acting like their former selves. They were not saved for that, but from that. And you and I need to remember what we've been saved from so that we know how we should live and who we should live for. John Phillips in his commentary gives a little illustrative uh, story for us. And I thought it was interesting, so I thought I would read it to you. He said, I have read somewhere of a method used by trappers to catch ermine, E-R-M-I-N-E. -E. I had to look up what is an ermine. By the way, I'm just curious how many of you know what an ermine is. 
Very good. A couple of you, very smart people. They're little white weasels. They can change the color of their fur, I, I, I read. But they're white, and hunters prize uh, their pelt, their fur. Beavers have a pelt. I don't know if our mine do. Phillips goes on to describe it as a pretty little creature with a pure white coat. He says, the trapper waits until the ermine leaves the nest to hunt for food. Then he puts filth at the doorway of its home. The ermine sees the trapper, realizes its danger, and heads for its hole for safety. When it gets there, however, it sees the entrance covered with dirt and won't go in. It doesn't want to get its coat dirty. It would rather be dead than defiled. Such, too, should be the attitude, surely, of the Christian who has learned the truth of justification and sanctification. Such is the greatness of his transformation. Paul reminds the Corinthians not only of the greatness of their transformation, but also of the ground of their transformation, that is Christ. Our justification and sanctification are accomplished through the Son of God and His triumphant name and through the Spirit of God and His transforming nature. It is not by virtue of our own resolve and effort that we become new creatures in Christ. I can't tell you how many times I thought, I'm, I'm just not going to do this again. I'm just going to get this thing straight. And you can imagine where that led me. I've quit saying that. Quit saying that. And if you're battling with things in your life, you need to quit saying that too. And just say, Lord, I'm looking to you. Fill me moment by moment with your spirit. I want to depend on you. And as you do, as you're filled with that spirit, you will enjoy the victory and you will walk in a way that pleases Christ. He said, salvation is imputed to us through the saving name of the Lord Jesus. It is implemented in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The believer does not willingly or habitually disgrace the name of the Lord Jesus or distress the nature of the Holy Spirit. Such were some of you. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.